0: Welcome everyone to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm Mike Sauter with you and uh, this week we're not blessed to have our our Goomba, our compadre Michael Martin. He called me this morning. His mother is, uh, who lives with him, is uh, dying, he says, as he speaks. So, you know, those of the praying types offer up a prayer for Michael and his mom during this time. I know he feels really uh, Grace and blessed that she was able to live with them. I forget how many years but I'm sure Michael will be back next week. And uh, so I'm here with a friend of the podcast. This will be the fourth time that we've had Dr. Guido Preparata on the last time we spoke. uh, I was on this side of the pond. And Guido was in Rome. Since that time, I took a mad dash trip to Italy. Uh, Planes, trains, automobiles and more to get to Balsena and a Franciscan monastery up above the, the town of Balsena on Lake Balsena and um, the, and we had a kind of a conference. And Guido, you've moved from Rome to what town in Italy now with your family?
1: I'm in, uh, I'm in Umbria, in the, the, the region of Umbria. The city is called Città di Castello. It's uh, further up. We're very close to Tuscany. Okay. It's beautiful.
0: Palsano was beautiful is where you're living now Indeed. also beautiful yeah that felt yeah, like umbria yeah, we were in lazio right but it felt kind of like the umbrian hills yeah yeah and the the, the uh the
1: countryside of lazio is uh, spectacular yeah. Yeah. We, had, we had we had a great time
0: yeah great time um how about a little bit like in italy you know we're going to talk I'll, I'll tease it right now we're going to talk about the canon um but uh, living in Italy, you know, over here on this side of the pond, again, people are talking about uh, your new prime minister Maloney. Uh, what's your? What would you want your American listeners? Uh, is this a real deal? Is it another Orban? How is it similar? How is it different?
1: It's um, <clears throat> a good question. From um, superficially, it seems it's going to be major changes. But and um, I know a lot of people voted her. Um, as a response to, very much in a, in a, in a Trumpian frame of mind, in, enough um, postmodern hypocrisy and uh, and all of these things. And uh, the fact that she's a woman and, and all of that also makes it uh, appealing from their viewpoint, from these electors' viewpoint. I mean, she's a seasoned politician now. She is, she's a young woman, but she's been around and playing the game for a very long time. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. Mo- most of us uh, who who are skeptical, uh, we think that nothing's going to change, uh, because in Italy, what's what's meant to change? I mean, mm-hmm. we're just uh, we're Club Med country for the empire. I mean, we are irrelevant, and ever more so after the end of the world uh, of the Cold War. And she, yeah, they say that she comes from. She's one of those. She's one of those um, young politicians used to come from a very young generation of um, right-wing people. So I don't know, there's been, uh, you know, rumors, no rumors, and people have voiced their concerns that, oh my goodness, you know, fashion is bad, but they do this all the time. Whenever there's one of those guys that, uh, there was the mayor of Rome a number of years ago, same crowd. Yeah, 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 and everybody, oh my goodness, we're going to have the black shirts again. It's complete nonsense. no, what is what is what is uh, what is what is certain is that she is you know, she's been blessed by 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 the U.S. She's then uh, they're all pro NATO, so I don't think anything's going to change. I'll, I'll be I'll be curious to see if anything is going to change. Yeah, and our the little gathering
0: thing. of it was it was quite diverse in one sense, but there was a you know most were Italians, but I wasn't shocked. But there was a self identity that like everybody was aware of that you know the number of nato bases in italy and so forth you know and you you probably can't get elected prime minister unless you're crowned by nato in some way is that your sense yeah i mean yeah sure sure yeah so you're not expecting radical change there
1: no no no
0: yeah.
1: uh, no no i i think i told you a story i i spoke uh years ago i um i was uh i, I got in um I got in touch with a group of people, mm-hmm. that was not in Italy, elsewhere, people who were sympathetic with a dialogue with Russia. And so through these people, I reached, I was put in contact with one, one member of parliament, uh, young member of parliament that comes from the, I think, exact same kind of milieu as Melon, of these you know people on the right. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who actually, but not only them, uh, keep a dialogue with, with Russia. But there are also people on the left to do that. I mean, people all over the place. And so <clears throat> I remember I said, you know, it'd be nice to have this Eurasian dialogue and let's make this Eurasian thing. And so we've been chatting and then this guy looks at me and he says, you um, you understand nothing of politics, do you? And, and I told him, no, no, I really don't. Why don't you enlighten me? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you know, and, and so it was kind of a surreal conversation because in the end, they belong to a group that dialogues with Russia. And so I am, I am indeed a naive guy. I mean, I'm not a politician in any sense. And I was just, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And the Russian, the Russians are Europeans there. They, we should be talking to them and so on and so forth. Anyway, he said, if we do that, if we, really, if we really start to do things with them, uh, the Americans are gonna start literally bombing. Mm. So, you should shut up.
0: That makes it and, very clear, right?
1: <laughs> no, and so you treated yeah. me like a stupid child. Yeah, right. Which, right. fine, fine. But then I, the question in my head was, well, what's the point of even having your little conferences? And so, if if that's how it really is, you know, why don't you just so what is it for show? with it part of the theater, of the theatrical production? But yeah. this is this this is how it is. So. The, So when everybody talks and you want to be part of those kind of alternative movement or the anti-system movement that root for Putin and so on, not that I'm anywhere close to these guys, but I I know a lot of them, Uh, it's fine. You know, you do that, you write this, and you have all these articles about the the Silk Road and let's do this and let's do that. And this account of... Echoes of Pepe
0: Escobar right there, sure. Exactly,
1: exactly. And the counterweights to uh, Anglo-American arrogance and so on. So we join hands with our American brothers who are tired of the tyranny at home with their, you know, Eurasian and European brothers on this side of the pond along the Silk Road and then all this nonsense. Uh So, yeah. And so... So long as you do all that and you have all these conferences, the anti-NATO, they, they have little, uh, again, anti-NATO gigs going on in Italy. There's like a traveling circus. We have gone through that as well. It's fine. Yeah. But what this young MP, I don't know what's become of him. Uh, I've never heard of him anymore, but he was. He was at the time when this was when Berlusconi was prime minister. Berlusconi, you know, big friend of Putin's, by the way. Sure. So, that, I, so people were thinking, oh, hey, right. wow, yeah. yeah, so we might do something but. It goes to show that whatever whatever game they're playing is one thing, and this idea of really wanting meaning to do something and bringing Russia in our midst in Europe and build or forget it—it's like it's it's absolute—it's an absolute no-no. And 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 I, I took him at his word when he said, you know, they're they're, they're being business, you know. So if you want to play and pretend, good. But if you, this this is my reading, didn't say that. But this is my reading of this. Word.
0: Yeah, no. So, I yeah. It, it, so different this, definitions this is what radicalism, right? You know. Well, I mean,
1: we're a colony. People say that all the time. We're a colony. We're a colony. We're a colony. But then, and then, and follow, follow this argument to its logical conclusions, and then you realize that a colony is not destined to be anything. A colony yeah. is a colony.
0: Fascinating, fascinating. You know, so I don't know if I can make a good segue there, but you're saying the, you know, this type of talk of even of a certain kind of radical fringe is limited by it's a subset because it's limited by a larger much more powerful kind of mediterranean narrative and i think if today's topic is the canon and i've read you know we've talked about this a little bit but an article that i'll use as a touchstone is uh should we sicilianize our velcro you know that's the funniest article titled in your corpus a uh, leafing through jaja in search of the meaning of society, power, and conspiracy. Anyhow, in that article, you you kind of call into question uh, huge elements of the whole Western canon. You know, and then in our correspondence, I know I'm not gonna embarrass you here. Um, at one point, I, I, we were talking about the canon in our correspondence and you said, you know, so what? Ditch Dante and Shakespeare? Um, ditch, no, but make room for sure. Ditch Plato and all them Greeks? Question mark, not entirely, no but criticize and push him them aside for sure. ditch Rousseau for sure. St. Thomas, you bet. And said to hell pretty much everybody else, we can do it a true Renaissance. That's classic uh, vintage preparata. And, um, you know, so I, I think setting the stage for this talk of on the canon, uh, which can be quite radical. There's, there's two issues. And I think you do this in your article. And, uh, I, and I'll have you talk more about your article about like Leonardo Zsa, Zsa and so forth. But I think in order to reshuffle the canon, two things become apparent when you're talking to you, Guido Preparata. one is theodicy and the other is power. So with the realm, I'm gonna piece those apart a little bit. Power seems to be your focus, first of all, and I've done this in an interview with you that we did for Front Porch Republic, which many people have watched. Um, power versus the economy power, uh, which is the driving force, you know, and w- where is the study of power right now? And then we'll go into Theodicy a little bit. It's a,
1: it's a huge question. Yeah, uh, you're reading that email. Yes, it's, it's my supermarket iconoclasm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I'm sure that you've had the same experience, right? We went through school, we went through catechism, and then we kind of reach more or less grievously or un- reluctantly adulthood, and um, and then you're in the world and you realize that ninety percent of what you've been told is either completely useless or completely non, it's not being applied, and and you're like a, you're like out there like a moron doing well you know you're not supposed to do that or you know this doesn't make any sense And everybody looks at you going oh, shut up you know this is how it is and you wonder how did it becomes become so wise how, I, how, I, how come i'm the only moron in the room who still thinks you should do this you should do that this is what they taught us to how do how did everybody become so wise yeah, yeah. and so uh, catechism zero you know completely useless you go into the real world and like nobody follows it so okay that's catechism now not and then not to repeat the million things we said about school 90% of what you learn... It, we're talking about Paul Simon, right? And I, I quoted that song. I remember it was, it was with you guys about yeah. the crap we learn in high school. Exactly. And so um, 90% of what you read in high school, what you study in high school and middle school is all junk anyway. The history books, junk. Uh, and, and so math, you know, well, it's logic. You know, it's very poorly taught. So, I mean, you come out with these diplomas and you're... Um, I don't know. You don't know anything. And so I said to myself, I said, you know, and then you, and then you go to, you go to university and, but it's the same thing when you study philosophy in high school. Yeah, you're good. So what have you read? Well, I've read Aristotle, Plato, Rousseau, Machiavelli, uh, Hegel, and then, and I don't know, and then and then the others. Okay, you're good. You're, you're an educated person. I mean, if you're you know, if you sustain the examinations and you've proven your worth and you're capable of, you know, uh, reciting what they're about, you're an educated person. No, you're not. You're just a, you're a complete, you're a complete <laughs> fool, doesn't know anything, Yeah, Rousseau. I mean, so, and so this, that's where that Shasha piece comes from. And as, as I was telling you, the only author that was interesting for me that, amongst these Italians was, was, was Lombroso, the criminologist, and his, and his son-in-law, Ferrero was also a talented poetologist. I mean, not a giant like Veblen, but he wasn't bad. And, and they were the only ones, and I thought finally, that said, you know, so what about all these classics that we Italians study? And I, and I discussed this with you too. Yeah. You know, uh, the Latin, the Greco Ro- the Romans, and Greek myth, and all of that. Uh, it's, 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 it's impregnated with violence and blood and violation, it, it's disgusting. And it's in, and even if it has some deeper layers of truth in a lot of those myths, which there are, of course, but 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 the, but the uh, the delivery is so completely drenched in blood, and then we complain that our society is a violent, and and so I, yeah, it went back to this discussion I have: how are we really raised? We're raised with a lot of myth that is extremely violent. All our tales, the grim fables, are grim and full of. You know the, the and we all know it. It's all about violation and, and sexual perversions, adult, you know adulterated and 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 lie and, and uh, bowlerized and covered, and so on and so yeah and 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 also power. You were saying you know you want to understand once you you've grown once you, you've grown up you want to understand what kind of world you live in, and when you go into the social sciences they don't do that they don't want you to understand how it works. And then you say, well, they will not. They, they don't want to teach me how it works, but I'm an educated man because I read Plato. I read uh, all of these it's a dead white guys. As it's exactly how it works. Of,
0: we say, I read them, so I must be educated. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, you know how, how the professors in American universities says, well, I'll teach dead white guys. Uh, mm-hmm. On the one hand, they, they make themselves postmodern appealing by berating what they teach, but that's exactly the kind of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, canon they uphold. And so when you hear somebody say that, I just a guarantee that that person doesn't know, doesn't know squat about anything. But like the vast majority of people who've gone through the same kind of training. And I said, you know what? Uh, and people say, oh, read Dante's, you know, in Dante's, there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful canto about the usury. Um, and there's very deep pages of economics in Aristotle and it's deep. Uh, in Dante, there's nothing. Um, Aristotle, there's a little, and Plato, there's a little, absolutely zero in, 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 in the medieval and theological tradition. I mean, they, they've been hammering us about usury and they never thought about how to vanquish it in any way other than prohibiting, for, for example. So anyway, to make a long story short, I said, you know, what would really happen if we were to ditch all this stuff? You know, what, Wait, are you mad? You're gonna ditch Dante, it's sublime. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, he's like an amazing poet, but as far as I'm concerned, if I want to understand the nature of power and theodicy, that is why there is violence in a world created by an allegedly benevolent
0: God, I don't know what to do with these guys, truly. So factual. Yeah. So, well, a little more, because you mentioned theodicy. Um, What do you see, you know, that, so, you know, I'm Catholic. One thing is maybe an anecdote that kind of, uh, jives with your kind of wake up experience. I remember I graduated from undergrad and I was in a conversation with my dad about like affirmative action or something. Then I heard myself say, shut up dad. I took a course in like social stratification. Then I realized how vacuous that sounded. You know, I was just trying to and that. Uh, so when I worked, I worked in a factory, a third shift. Uh, it's called century safes, taking cement off fireproof safes for about three years. And I let my mind clear, right? But I realized, in trying to like say I took a class in something, the, the distance between that and having anything meaningful to say, it just hit me in the face, and it was really in my in my life's biography a seminal moment that I realized how in fact how 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 dumb I am. Um, now
1: working yeah, but, within, I, you know, six, go ahead, yeah. But but you realize that at an age, you know, after because you've studied though, I mean, and 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 some of us have studied a lot. Yeah, And having, having studied a lot in those years meant that you didn't have as much fun
0: as you wanted to have. No, in way. one sense, I didn't study. I would say I never read a book until, say, boring books kill the brain, right? You know, and the good thing for me, I went to less than one third of my classes total. Um, I don't know if you'd call it cheating. I suppose it was in a sense, but I got to be honest. Like if I took a class in humanities, I would take out all the encyclopedia Britannic colliers and read about Dostoevsky, right? And then I'd read enough pages of the Brothers Karamazov or something, right? And I could pass yeah. my humanities test. But I, I don't think I didn't even buy the books for most classes, you know, because I, I was pretty gifted at seeing the game. So when I took to writing, and there's a hero in my life, which I'll do a whole show on one time, a Hungarian novelist, uh-huh. Stephen Visen, a Hungarian novelist, Stephen Visenchi. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you told
0: me yeah, yeah. You know that all of a sudden I read something by him, and it just electrified me, and then. He wrote back to me, talk about Michael Martin's mom going through this. My mom was terminally ill at the time. And so the world was, I wanted truth. And we had some correspondence and he thought it was good that I had almost never read books when I was younger. So I've almost never read a book that really just dulled my brain. You know? Well, that. But then then you're fortunate and you've been a lot smarter fortunate. than, yeah. fortunate and you've
1: been a lot smarter than people like me who, uh, you know, we're just uh, were really... Um, you know my dad and a lot of pressure to just to to uh, to to do well and and then realize you know at a certain age that you just can't face the fact that you've just thrown that you've you threw away Mm. uh, so many precious hours and days of of your life in studying stuff that's completely worthless Yeah. So I don't know if it's some kind of an act of Freudian rebellion or or whatever. But it's it's it it is also is this, but not so much against my parents, but against what the system wants you to do. And I said to myself, you know, for me, I would take all this stuff and set fire to it, because in the end, who cares? It's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's beautiful language, beautiful, beautiful verses. Yeah, okay, well then then let the poets keep them. For my part, I would set fire to them without thinking twice, because they don't help my investigation. the least
0: right and let me so this is why most of our listeners know too but i want to mention your dad was no also ran you know he was a even a renegade he was in in his own way an iconoclast but a, you know a a physicist of uh you know world importance at that time giuliano preparata so it's not that your dad was just forcing you into a like a boring school he was trying to give you no no and and and,
1: yeah and and he saw himself also as some kind of an anarchist but but it's not true he was very also bound to the beehive you know as we say he was but whatever, and that, that's his story. But and of course, it had repercussions on, on what I did. But in, in in a way, in a good way, because I thought, you know, um, all right, I am just going to, I am just going to, I am just. This is why I turned to Shasha. You know, Shasha is in Italy. He's very, he's 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 a big name. He's a big name. But he, you know, nobody would think of equating him with I don't know Dante. Right. right. Not that it, I want to spell his
0: last name for people if they don't know him, Leonardo. When I, I'll be honest, talk about ignorant. I said Schizia, but s c i a s c i a Leonardo shasha
1: yeah yeah. yeah, it's it's an it's a name of Arabic uh, okay. uh, derivation um because you know, the Arabs were in Sicily, and you know they passed on many things stayed there. but i mean, he's he's an Italian author and um, big, uh, very well known, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, res- very high, respectable. Novelist of Italian twentieth century literature, but so okay. Com- compared to Dante, you would say certainly he's a minor, whatever. And so okay, but uh, for me there was more to be uh, learned about power in him than there is in Dante or many others. Not that what you find in him is extraordinarily, but but overall, overall there's enough to hold. you know, a story or uh, a stratum of, or if you want a a bedrock, which we can walk and start looking around,
0: begin to understand things. And so... I think you've seized up there a little bit. You'll come back. There you go, yep.
1: and, And so, and this is a discussion that I had with many friends. And I said, when you walk into a library, or, or in a, or in a flea market, and you see all those books. What guarantee do you have that there, of all these books that have been published decades and decades and decades ago of names that you've never heard, what guarantee do you have that there's not more truth in those than in all the crap that they forced you to read? And, and the answer is none. And so you never know, you never know. And then who knows, maybe some Romanian dude in the 1910s, wrote a sociology tract that 25 people know that has all the mysteries revealed in it. Why the hell not? It could very well be. And moreover, the fact that this is like the Council of Nicaea or the Council of Constantinople. It's the fathers of the church that tell you what to believe. Now they're going to tell you what to believe, what kind of shape the belief has to take. They will tell you how you yourself are made spiritually and so on and so forth. And why should I believe them? Mm -hmm. And same thing happens with building curricula. It's fathers of the church that tell you what constitutes goods that make an educated man or woman, right? It's what they say that you have got to read. But what if I want to challenge their authority? And what if I think that all these bibliographies they've put together are absolutely worthless. And I would not salvage a single title of them. Right. And, and the reason is, as even, I was reading uh, Savonarola's, uh, you know, like the, the Dominican crazy. I love that. Uh, crazy. No, no, crazy. That, that Dominican, let's call him stalwart, who uh, uh, tried to give the Florentines a, um, a constitution. And one of the things he said, I mean, the, it, it is very coarse. I mean, it's not highly sophisticated. But he says a few things here and there. And he said, and amongst the things, and I want to write about this at some point, but amongst the things he says, he says, you know, they, they don't want you to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. He says that plainly. The Lord, the one who is the, the, the tyrant, has, no, no, he has, it's not that he has any inclination. He doesn't want you to know how the machine works. Now, think of this and think of professors that are called by in, in state commissions to draw up a text. Okay. and so you have every right to say you know what I'm not gonna read this pile of junk mm-hmm.
0: the um, no agreed the uh, what was I gonna say oh and then so let's let's go to theodicy again like it's it's got to be one of the central questions in history and you're somebody who's worked at the the Pontifical Gregorian and um, University and you just think the whole the whole attempt in the in the whole history of say the Catholic Church to deal with this question has been lame from the get go right and that's one of your reasons you'd say if nobody's actually ever apprehended this question or giving it a serious whack that can illuminate things um, we have to really question the canon say say more about that
1: yeah it's it's my usual for me it's the most important so i was i was expecting expecting you would expect uh, that people who devote themselves that believers who devote themselves to who have the luxury of spending their days reading writing thinking and teaching and so on and so forth would devote 100% of their energy to attempting to understand this problem of evil within what allegedly they this, I, I allegedly told us is as the design of a good god it, it which is the question that's been dri- been driving most philosophers into all sorts of dead ends or um, weird weird avenues because it is so difficult and, and it's it's more than difficult it's it's um existentially impossible to, to to attempt to find a way around. So,
0: yeah, so but you, you would claim that to an outsider, many people within the Western fold or the Catholic Church, probably with, you know, trite phrases like privy bonum, you know, that evil is the absence of the good, we just, uh, we just bury the problem and move on, right. And the edifices presumably that we build upon those jargon false understandings are never questioned. Do you think that's kind of an accurate statement?
1: No, it, it, it's it's a difficult question. I, I I don't I don't think I know the answer. The, the impression I had was that it was they didn't talk about it at all. They yeah. were, and you know, and you know, as a Catholic and, and and person who reads extensively, you know much better what Catholic theologians say about this. And I, I've only personally read or heard the people at the time at the university talk, and I don't know what they're talking about. It's <laughs> completely, <laughs> yeah. I, I have no I have no no notion of why they would discuss it. A lot of them were really into Heidegger, yeah. being and not being and 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 I'm thinking what does I have to do? I mean the myth the myth the story of Christ on the cross is is a powerful story which is again it's it oozes uh blood and and all, and, and, and and badness all around. Mm-hmm. So you have a good starting point right there to um and it, to to start thinking about what does that what does that signify not to mention the whole story of Christianity itself about that is supposedly God and so what is it God commits suicide I mean it leads to once you follow it, once you follow it through I mean it, it takes you in all sorts of directions that are um, on all sorts of corridors that are disturbing ones Absolutely. and so you get you, you get into really um... Dangerous material, which is generally not much discussed in, 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 a, in, in a university hall. Yeah. But yeah, I was expecting them to, to and so I did. In, in my classes, I, I took them there. And it's not that they wouldn't want to go there. They listened, the young seminarians listened with interest. But you could see that I was just beckoning them to come into the room, you know, figuratively speaking, that they would nod that they would understand, but that the flow was taking them elsewhere. and that they could give me a passing nod and 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 sympathize, but it was not going
0: to be. yeah, I, so let's let's begin, let's talk a little bit about Plato. You know, I'm not I don't know all that much. I'm going to mention a book, catafalque by this guy, Peter Kingsley. I've mentioned him to you, Carl Jung and the End of humanity. this is he's a world-class scholar of the pre-socratics, but he, I don't know what you're going to say about Plato, but he's going to think it all went wrong. I think it's from the sophist. He can quote one of these tales that uh, these yarns that kind of Plato spins. And for Kingsley, it feels like we all get kind of trapped in these things and we take them as reality. But there's a reference made about killing father Parmenides. And for Kingsley, that is very evocative, because he'll want to say in his different books that like, All of logic, which comes from Empedocles and Parmenides, these kind of poems that we find, which involve like meetings with Persephone in the dark underworld and kind of dying before you die. That fragments from these poems become the edifice of logic and Greek conceptual thought. And that, you know, for him, Plato, um, he just he gets into this language. There's ultimate clarity. It was dark, a meeting of the underworld with the divine feminine. And these people came out enlightened. Then it went to these people who kind of spun yarns and they use lots of like qualifying things. You know, something can kind of be true and not true at the same time and everything. And this guy, Peter Kingsley, who can find online, he says, whoa, that's heavy. And I want to make a comparison with that to another hero of mine who's not a professional academic, but really a novelist. And his name was Jean Sullivan. He wrote in France, um, died in a car wreck, but he he even began to see that greek conceptual thought you know that this thing that the eastern church when they want to beat up on the western church they love their continuity with uh you know this greek marriage to the gospels but sullivan who studied an anthropologist a jesuit marcel jose j-o-u-s-s-c but really looked at you know the syrian gospel and aramaic gestural uh the world but that greek conceptual thought You know, when that kind of colonized the gospel that we took a detour there. But so in in your correspondence with me, you're saying Plato problems, you know, let's not ditch it all. What's your beef with Plato, Guido? We're going to go through some of the canon. We're just going to kind of pick your brain for a little bit. I think this will be fun for our listeners.
1: No, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, who am I? Who am I to attack? I'm I'm a nobody. No, I'm just saying that, he hasn't helped me a great deal in understanding things, but no, I mean, of course, there's lots that's really interesting. As, uh, certainly as far as uh, his laws are interesting, you know, uh, the Republic, not so much. Everybody talks about the Republic and, and, and the custodians and then and, and the communism of women and all that. And, and the book really bored me to, to, to death. And um, I, I, I thought the, the laws are better. So where he was designing, in fact, uh, a more flexible community and uh, and it, there was no communism of resources there were forecasts he, uh, for, for group groupings and uh, he also set maximum limits for wages and said interesting things about money interesting you know about distinguishing between a gold standard and a non- gold standard and so it was, uh, and then about you know how to run the city and the laws has all that. And I think it's a much more interesting book than the Republic. Mm-hmm. I think he wrote it afterwards, if I'm not mistaken.
0: So it's not standing uh, up just under Plato, just you know submissive under Plato. Let's let's engage with the guy. Is what you're saying?
1: No, no, no. I mean he he belong, I mean you got to know him. I mean if you want to be part of the uh, yeah sure sure. But for our purposes, I don't think he helps us. Uh, or, you know, it's like Leibniz. I mean, he's another complete genius, but his, his book on theodicy is pathetic. Mm. Uh, I, it's like, don't even, don't even write. Uh, don't even try to write a book like that unless you really know what you're doing. What's
0: the title and of his book from, on theodicy?
1: Yeah, he has, he's written the, the treatise on theodicy to argue that, uh, you know, you can reconcile the two. But it, it okay. fails miserably, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, miserably. And so, and this is Leibniz, right? Not exactly right, a, right, a lightweight. Right. And
0: so, and so forth. Yep.
1: yeah, I mean, we're talking about, and not only, not only a mathematical genius, he was an inventor and I mean, just just, just a giant. No, I, but I, I wanna deal with, with the Odyssey. And so with Plato and all of these people that um, physicists uh, and uh, and, stud, and students of science revere, it's because of course, you know, it's more with him it's more about the dialogue with Apollo, right? Not with Dionysus, Apollo is, um, is math, Apollo is rigor. But what, these, what, what all of that helps you with is in contemplating um, the cosmos, like the, um, the space in which we live, which is a creation. It's built, it's assembled by mathematical mind, uh, the great geometrician or God or whatever, God, um, and it's extremely sophisticated and, and only very few people with, with mental, high mental capacities can penetrate the formulas for, you know, just the book of nature, is what Galileo said. It's written in math and in geometry, and you've got to be able to read it. Uh, if you're a super talent like me, Galileo says, I'll explain to you how it is, and you continue in that tradition, and, and we learn from these books, and that's great. So that world, the Apollonians, they're okay because for them, uh, and, and physicists get really uh, enraptured because once they figure out how matter is constructed and certainly they, or some of the greatest, you know, uh, then you get into the very small spaces and you got all the, you know, the quantum dynamics and all of that. And so they penetrate all that. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but yeah. for them in the Apollonian world, You have, there is, there is, uh, you you can verify things. Mm -hmm. And these these people get exalted because with their mind, they put themselves or they discover blueprints that make them feel, and they do feel capable of dialoguing with God himself, right? I can figure out how you, the carpenter of the universe, has put this thing together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's huge, right? But... And it is huge. And they devote their lives to that. And I, and I appreciate and I revere that. But for us, within this, within this stage, which is built with, very, with extremely sophisticated materials and assembled in incredible ways, which physicists uncover little by little throughout centuries, there are committed abominations. Uh-huh. This, is where, this is where we come in and we're we're not i mean I, don't, I speak for myself i'm not a scientist and i love what you scientists do but my question is not so much about you know the theory of matter what makes the stage which is a career in itself what preoccupies me is the abominations that are consummated daily on the very stage yeah and and to that the physicist n- doesn't have anything to respond, or the, yeah. Apollonian, the Apollonian gazer. He can, he can have beautiful stories about Kepler, about the golden section and about sacred geometry, and they can like completely, you know, make you drunk with their stories. But for our concerns, what drives this desire for the Holocaust upon this beautifully built stage? Those questions for me are more interesting and, uh, and they go right straight to the core of what, what are we doing here? What is the point of all of
0: this? Yeah, Which I think you, really, uh, people, people can hear you talk like that and still probably underestimate. Like it really, it brings me to my core, you know, that, and just to go back to Plato for a second, he just thought like these pre-Socratics who are probably in the initiatory tradition, you know, partially buried in mud and, you know, they have these kind of visions. They, they were having an encounter with reality and the next one one derivation away, they were spinning yarns about kind of reality. And again, you're saying this Apollonian piece is kind of giving us all this theory and it's beautiful and it's crystalline, but it's been, it's so, it's so all-encompassing that we miss the fact of the hecatomb, you know, of the uh, the, the bloodshed all around us, you know, and that this is kind of your life's work, is it not? Just to kind of redirect our attention to the reality, you know, that there's people people dying in mass numbers uh there's wars about to happen and so forth am i right yeah yeah
1: it, it, yes yes it's 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 what we're interested in but in a way you know it's like the, the people who study the apollonian tradition they go they do that on their life and they they are some of them are deep believers uh, they are actually some of the strongest believers because they they read the book of nature written by god and they can read it better than most and so they feel connected to god in their way. And so all these others issue, all these other issues about violence and about bloodshedding and all that, it's, they don't even concern themselves with them. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like um, I was watching a documentary about Debussy, right, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the composer. And, and Debussy says that, you know, for him, his, his object was to tra- was to translate music, nature into music and everything else didn't really concern him at all.
0: Hmm.
1: And, and so, so, it, 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 so you can do that, you can live a life where you can still believe you know, that there was a, a divine mind that created the, the stage
0: and, and that's that. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So then let's, let's do kind of another one. It's, it's, you know, we're going to bounce through, but, you know, in that letter to me and other places, St. Thomas, Dr. St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, doesn't rate too highly in, in your Canon, you know, what's your experience with him? And th- this is a fun one too, because the church today is kind of, you know, experiencing it's, uh, every so often it's episodic, uh, battles between Thomas, you know, Neo Thomas and everybody else and so forth. Um, you know, you're you're very exposed to him. Where do you see the shortcomings there?
1: No, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I I, I haven't I, the, the, the Summa. I I, I kind of read, I went through it many many years ago, and for me, the only thing I remember from that thing was it was just and, and it was just Aristotle, and, and 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 then he he took that in, and he put God and Christ in it, and I thought. <laughs> Is that all? I mean, this, I mean, you could be sued for plagiarism. I mean, if, 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 if the Aristotelian society was, I mean, but maybe, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, you know, but yeah. as a, as a young guy reading this stuff, I said, it's the same thing, you know, the, the one engine and this and that, and plus, and, and then, yes. And then there was all that long thing, that long aspect of his work on freedom and, uh, and free will. And it was just as unconvincing as everything else. And so I didn't understand that once, uh, once we were amongst grown-ups and talking about politics, the Catholics in the room would still, you know, uh, harken back to the to all of that and, and then express their opinions of policy based on on, on Thomas. And I yeah, thought, yeah. I, I I I thought either I'm not understanding something, or they're completely on a pack of imbeciles but maybe
0: it's
1: <laughs> maybe maybe it's they, just rabelais me.
0: take on him you know that and it's it's deeper than this but at one level we have to realize what you know through parody we see it so clearly but in the works of uh, rabelais you see that uh he makes it so clear to you that with uh three or four moves in a syllogism you can prove anything about anything you know and so th- that was a great send-up that when i read saint thomas still has um still has some merit that uh Give me, give me like five or six syllogisms and I can convince you of the craziest, craziest stuff. Um, and there was deeper critiques in Rabelais too. You know, he saw it all around him and he heard this Argo, the strange language being spoken with such authority during his time. And he, he was uh, somebody else, very connected to nature, you know, a great sensate, uh, somebody who appreciated the body. And he just could not, he had to rebel so strongly against it, you know.
1: No, no, yeah, no, it's interesting. You, you would yeah.
0: quote. Uh, How about uh, yeah, yeah. Machiavelli? I'm going to quote you. Uh, Machiavelli, de- his uh, depiction of cynical opportunism, and this is from your essay on Sicilianizing our Weltgeschenk, of which the Anglo Saxon mainstream is so gluttonous, reeks of an unimaginative uh, mechanicality. Uh, Mechanicality, I'm so sorry, which does full injustice to the deeper and nauseating nature of evil as it manifests itself in the collective motions of mankind. Do the learned doctors of academia really believe that knowledge of Machiavelli's The Prince is a sine qua non for fathoming the essence of power? What did you find in Machiavelli? We love him, right? Because we think, I, I mentioned the distinction between the real and the logical world and our models and the real world. And now we tend to read Machiavelli because we think finally he's showing us about the real world. Right. And so we love that stuff. And you're saying still ish, you know, kind of quite different. What's going on with Machiavelli? Guido?
1: Yeah. 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 It's like in, 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 in the Anglophone world, they, they, they read Machiavellian and they think that they have, you know, that they, that they have just gulped the Renaissance and, and they, they, they understand everything. I don't know. I mean, the Renaissance is a very complex um, time and there are things that are extremely hard to read. You know, if you're trying to read Giordano Bruno and all those esotericists and or Cardano, and um, those are people that were versed in all sorts, in a lore that's completely lost. Uh, Machiavelli is not like that. Machiavelli is um, he's blunt. He's very simple. I mean, it's, it's, it's very basic. Mm-hmm. And recently there was this book written by this guy named uh, Jonathan Green or Green, 48, the, the, was it 48 Laws of Power. It was a bestseller. Uh, I don't know. You it, must have yeah. heard of it. Anyway, yeah, it's a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, it's just Machiavelli. Yeah, I mean, it's simple and it very, very much resonates with the, um, some kind of a, you know, low business ethos about getting ahead and, uh, and all that. And so it, it, it chimes with it, it echoes that, so it's popular. But um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's trivial, it's yeah. extremely, it's extremely trivial. And so I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's of no use to me. The only, no. thing that I rem- the only thing that I remember of Machiavelli is the one about the, uh, sorry about the lights. No problem. Um, uh, the only thing that I can remember is, um, is the one about lying. That one is kind of okay. You know, like, you know, always lie. You know, whatever, when, when you're caught, you know, yeah, like
0: okay.
1: red-handed lie, uh-huh. lie always because there's always going to be at least one person that's going to believe you. That one was more chilling. The rest, me, yeah. Is, is, is does that really? Can you really go far with that in understanding our world? No.
0: Yeah.
1: But the one about lie always was that one's okay,
0: uh-huh. kind of okay okay that's that's
1: that's that's the one that's the one song out of his record that i saved the rest i just
0: yeah i think i I wouldn't go
1: ahead i wouldn't burn the vinyl completely yeah you can have it in your collection but if you want to listen to a song just listen to that one because the rest is
0: (laughs) and i don't think many of our listeners are like hanging their whole intellectual life on rousseau um I, i guess i've had to teach the social contract through um humanities you know when i've taught it I, I i confess to uh but but you find a lot of his work he t- he's one of these guys who on scattered pages even in the social contract he's making distinctions between like association and agglomerations um you know so this kind of the worst is the corruption of the best thing that i like from one of my heroes this ivan illich who by the way has a great essay on savannah roll i'll send you um you know that uh, rousseau for me uh, one insight again now rip this apart uh, oligarchy, you know, democracy works for small entities uh, oligarchy for midsize entities autocracy for large entities. He got into some notions of scale that are important to me. So I always kind of like sharing that that I think scale is important not talked to him enough about there's a guy Leopold core, who I think should be in a canon. the breakdown of nations, you know, he just says the enemy of everything is bigness, bigness. And I get some real insights from that. Uh, tell me about your reaction to uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau.
1: When I read Rousseau in school, I, I always wondered, I mean, I kept falling asleep and I said, what is this garbage? And the second most say- read what?
0: book after the Bible at that time, wasn't it? My goodness. Yeah, some years ago, and When I was teaching, I, I read something that it, it's, it's up there. Go ahead, yeah. The,
1: the people surrendering their will to uh, in order to have order and then they were good at the beginning. And I thought, what is this inane, inane thing? And and most importantly, what does that have to do with the French Revolution? Uh What do you mean? That's the book that informed the French Revolution. I mean, this is no, and all those, the head cutters, you know, they had this book and in their buy, in, in you know, the, in their pockets, much like the Bolsheviks had marks in theirs, and it's like the books that drives complete complete mystification. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: again, Ferrero Lombroso is it, Guillermo Ferrero is a politologist that that's been completely forgotten,
0: but he's huh. again. He, How was he, his last name book, spelled, Guido? Ferrero. F
1: e r r e r o. Okay. And he's written this decent book, I mean, called Potere, Power. And in this book, he says, and finally, I mean, I I wasn't that young when I read it, but I thought, damn it, I wish I'd read this sooner. He says, Rousseau has absolutely nothing to do with the revolution. This guy wrote this book. It was a pamphlet that was commissioned to him to support the the uh, money oligarchy in geneva huh and he came up with this fiction that was there to somehow f- provide these oligarchs with a politically correct manifesto of sorts which could help them in their cause or 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 just the cause of the uh, the, the, the canton of of, of or the city of Geneva, in its some kind of drive for more independence and whatnot, and I thought, oh, or I mean, that makes sense because yeah. uh, otherwise. And but you'll see, you know, you'll see that even when you read Poudon, he, you know, he says that um, Rousseau is important and that the Jacobins listened to him, that the revolution was a good thing, that it went astray with the terror. And for as much as I like Pudov, I mean, there's a lot of mystification about all of this. Yeah, and so as I don't believe that the revolution had absolutely anything to do with it, so they couldn't, you know, zero. Much like the Bolshevik Revolution has absolutely nothing to do with Marx. What they needed, however, once they were enabled to become regimes, you need a book. You need, you, need, you need a written discourse. And so uh, it'd be interesting to see why these particular books lend themselves because they had the shape and um, the, that was at the time was, was fitting for giving them some kind of um, propagandistic rhetorical uh, re- presentability and, and so they did. And at that point, then they make us read the books as if, you know, the books sparked that, but absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a complete lie, complete lie. Again, they don't want you to understand how um, transformations in society and upheavals in power are really orchestrated. And so they make you believe that these books are out there and they work like seeds and then they grow and people... You know, latch onto them, and then they all rally to some kind of cause and change things. It's another complete mystification.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about this? You name um, name some other books that you think are popular and you just think uh, confuse us more than they illuminate us.
1: Uh, yes, uh, Marx for sure. Marx, yeah, Marx. I have a ju- enormous uh, beef with Marx and. And it's difficult for me because there, I have a lot of friends and acquaintances, well-meaning uh, scholars who come from that camp. But um, it, for me, it's part of a deceit. Uh, Marx, for sure, uh, all the neo-Austrian schools- You called Marx are all, controlled
0: opposition in our last conversation, I think. Yes, is he, yeah. he definitely That's is. how much he you think is. he's obfuscating, yeah.
1: But it's not even him. I mean, for, uh, for as much as I detest him on a personal level, because he is detestable, and especially in, in, in his spat with Poudon, but whatever. But, I mean, that a man had a hard life, and regardless if he had a difficult or an easy life, it's not him. It's what they made of him. Yeah. And um, because he died, he wasn't that famous. His book was not famous either. He died, in, I wouldn't say in semi-obscurity. He was kind of known as, he was a propagandist. It's again. It's the council of the Nicaea syndrome. Who gets to tell you what to do, what to read, what is a good book and what is not a good book? Other books that have confused. I'm really afraid of saying things. You know, and um, uh, afraid. Well, we like it instance, when you start to
0: get afraid to say things because you might offend. Well, no, no, no. Because I'm gonna. Look,
1: no, because I'm gonna look like a like an idiot. For me, but it, and it's not even to answer your question. Mostly, I was gonna say Dostoevsky, but Dostoevsky. I was gonna.
0: Friend. I was gonna mention him because in some of our correspondence, you see. I'm just picturing like uh, Catholic young guys who, you know, when we know we we haven't uh, explicated anything at one level, we can just kind of say like it's all there in Dostoevsky.
1: But you know, Dostoevsky, I was reading Siran, right? The uh and yeah. Cyrano, uh, and and, and, Ceyron, and, and, and Ceyron,
0: I mean, he. Um, I like reading.
1: And, now who is that? Ceyron, I said
0: yes, but I got to confess my ignorance. Cyrano. No, no, no. Is
1: is this uh, is this really dark? Uh, Romanian, French, naturalized. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I I always said Cioran. Yeah, he's great, right? Yeah, so yeah, great, great. And he
1: worships, he worships those things. He says
0: Cioran, C-I-A-R-O-N, I -I I forget. C-I-R-A-O-N? Yeah. C-I-O-R-A-N. His first name is Emil, I think, right? Emil, yeah. You said secretly everybody's just wanting to be praised. Yeah, he cut right uh, yeah yeah
1: and it's and it's all about revenge and there's nothing wrong with revenge yeah about all the uh <laughs> no but there's so much and we we should we should have a talk about should, because it's phenomenal should. but and people you know people say it's it's stuff that uh, suicide people suicide prone people read and that's that's another cliche about it uh for me i'm not suicide prone at all and i read when i need to be uh, galvanized. when I need comfort i read i read Sion. imagine that
0: yeah so it
1: makes me it makes me it makes me want It makes me love life even more so yeah. anyway so um Sion and many others of course Dostoyevsky dostoevsky is 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 the peak most yeah. every they say to you everything's in there a lot of uh top literati will tell you Tolstoy is good but Dostoevsky is, you know, so much deeper.
0: I think that's right. And, that's a common understanding. Yeah. Guilty is charged in some respects, but I haven't read either deeply, deeply.
1: To be honest with you, every time I attack Dostoevsky, I don't know if I, I told you this before, I want to repeat myself. This has happened to me repeatedly. I find myself you say, oh, you got to read this. Or I'll read The Idiot. Or I'll read The Possessed and read The Okay. I find myself page. I don't know what page like. 493, and say I dropped the book for about a few weeks because I just couldn't continue. Then I go back to it and I'm thinking, who the hell is Elena Petrovna? And why is she slapping Vladimir Timofeyevich? And why are they in the room and who is this other guy? and What is this book about? And I take this thing and I throw it away. <laughs> I have not finished The Idiot. I have not finished The Possessed. And I
0: don't know what people are raving about,
1: but this is like Stendhal, you know, Stendhal also. I, I know a lot about Stendhal,
0: was, yeah. He was Visenshi's hero, so I read it all. I kind of like him, who, I'll admit. Whose hero was he? Uh, Steven Visenshi put me on touch with Stendhal. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, the Hungarian writer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and oh, my, my dad also is crazy for Stendhal. And he has this uh, complete works of Stendhal. And in the back cover, it said, the more you love Stendhal, the more intelligent you are,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> I thought I must be a moron. It really said that, though. That's shocking. That's pretentious.
1: No, no, it was it was the curator of the edition.
0: Of, okay, yeah. The yeah. editor, the editor said. Mm-hmm. I I could probably illuminate what I've learned. I haven't read that that deeply in literature to know. So I've tended to read more in the canon within literature than I've read within nonfiction. Nonfiction, I've been completely on my own. And I have, uh, I have no stomach for stuff that doesn't help me understand the world. I wonder if I've been, you know, I've been much more narrow. Well, I shouldn't say narrow, but I've probably, cl- um, just looking for suggestions, I've clung closer to the canon when it comes to fiction, you know. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, but I mean, you have no choice. You got to go by something that's recommended. You, you don't have seven lives to go in a library and read whatever, choose to read whatever you want looking for that Romanian treaty on sociology, how many, how many years do you have to live before you find that book? You got to go by. And this is why critics and the fathers of the council of Nicaea have so much power because they, you know, cut through the chase and tell you, no, just don't waste your time. I'll tell you what to read. I will tell you what it's going to make you a good believer, a good Christian, uh, an educated
0: man. Yeah. A couple of things I want to accomplish before we end today is um. I want you to say you've mentioned we've had a show on anarchism with you, and you've mentioned some of your Malatesta and others. Um, but uh, how about give us some of your your gems, like in your own canon that we may have never heard from uh, uh, literature and everything. And then because we began talking about Zaza, let's uh, whether from your essay or not, give us some of the pearls of insights. You know that uh, you know when I read systematic philosophy, whether it's Hegel or something, you know. All I'm looking for is insights. You know, I, I like tasting the different atmospheres, but eventually I'm just looking for a little insight in my little corner of the world. Um, so how about first, before we get into like Jaja, Zha Zha, uh, who are some of the other kind of hidden gems you found, especially ones that might be relevant today? And because 99.9% of our listening audience probably only speaks English, you know, people, that, books they could pick up to start developing their own canon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, the, the, the three anarchism, the three true anarchists that have not been incorporated in that tradition and ought to be there really in pole position that everybody should read are, as we mentioned them over and over again, are Veblen. So the theory of the leisure class is, is for me is a book that cannot, it's not like Dostoy's King, and you don't know what he's saying. You will. It's hard. It's hard. But it's hard to read, but it, but, but, you, but everybody gets it. So Veblen, everything by Veblen, especially that one, uh, and, and Steiner. Steiner is Steiner is fascinating, and um, everything by Steiner that you can one can lay his hands on is is worth reading. He is, um, is just mesmerizing. You know, uh-huh. um, there's an, a mystic that has explored every avenue of knowledge and has said some unbelievable things about everything and original. And as I always say, even if it's made up, it's so good that you got to read it anyway. And it's going to, and I don't think it's made up, but some of it is completely, I think, put together in a completely... But he'd be the first ideas- to
0: admit that, I think, is, is, is the point he would make, you know? Yeah,
1: it's been, it's been put together in such an idiosyncratic fashion, but definitely check it out. In Shasha, uh, one of the books that most of his that was, to me, one of the most interesting was a book called The Theater, Theater of Memory. And it's an, actual, um, it's an actual inquest, it's a journalistic inquest. It's not something he made up. It's not a work of fiction. And it's the story about, and um, it's a story about, I think, a man who goes missing in World War I and um, a, a double sees this fact uh semi-delinquent um, and in goes to the family claiming to be the man who
0: vanished this is like the story of martin guerre if you're familiar with that no in french legend google it like wikipedia there's a musical and a movie based on it it's a true story where a guy went off to war another kind came back and married his wife and then gets killed
1: that's it doesn't get killed but that's exactly what happens
0: okay martin guerre yeah
1: Oh yeah, well, you send. And in me, America, there's me. a
0: movie based on it. Just for our listeners, uh, they they took the story of Martin Gehr and put it in the American Civil War in a movie called *Summersby*, which starred Jodie Foster, who was a teenage but, crush of mine, by the way. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got to see it. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. And he—that's great. You send me the link to that. I will. Huh? Mike. And so, he goes back, and he obviously wasn't him. But he manages to convince the wife. The wife becomes the most adamant advocate of her husband's coming back from the dead or from the missing in World War I. And there begins a fight between those, you know, the friends of the guy who just say, this is not him, and part of the family and a giant movement of public opinion that sides with this imposter and uh, the story is extraordinary and shasha is he's just a master of terseness he dispatches the story in less than 100 pages far fewer than 100 pages he is he is bare bones that's uh, that's one of his characteristics and um, the book is phenomenal and it, it it shocked me and and as i wrote in the article it's about this fact of you know who are we uh if deep deep down we think we are so special, so unique, but what if there only were one amorphous life principle that is just pulsating through us, wearing different masks for each one of us? Well, wow. which is kind of what emerges in John Carpenter's the thing
0: right Yeah, yeah yeah, right.
1: And um, yeah, and and this story brings this very strongly. you know, here we are wondering about... Us about you, you know. You look yourself in the mirror. So who am I We're in your own body? And thinking of the day when you will have to forsake your body, and not knowing anything, not knowing how your body really works or how you fit in it, and and how confused you are about about it all. And then you read these stories about maybe you are, Shasha, you know, says maybe you are nothing after all. Um, provocatively,
0: it is provocative. Yeah. And yes. one more thing on Martin Guerre, you know, there's a guy who did a musical based on it, who did uh, Lay Miz and, um, and Miss Saigon. But it, it must be a decent musical because this got no reception. But I've listened to the soundtrack. And, uh, you know, with the key, the key song is like, who is the imposter here? You know, it's a great they use this type of story to talk about who's the imposter. You know, the guy who because uh, it, it calls into judgment. The lawyers and you have Calvinists and Roman Catholics accusing each other and all this stuff. And then one person kind of the town fool I think gets to say like who's the imposter and calls out like the imposters of all of us now that's again a little bit cheesy a little bit trite. But the power of this type of story I bet you in the hands of Zha can illuminate so many things, or at least help us ask the right questions. Yeah. No, and,
1: and it was, yeah, a true story. And this was the time of the fascist regime. And I guess yeah. uh, Mussolini, him directly was not brought into it, but the regime was, they looked into this and they also saw what was, um, what was, uh, what behooved them to do what side to, um, what side to, su- to support, uh, politically it, it, it became a, a huge case and, um,
0: uh, it, it's, it's a good, it's a good fascinating. And, so how about we end then, on this? We'll end on something kind of open-ended, but you know, so you're, I've known you for a long time. I think some people might think I have a proprietary relationship with you. We get lots of comments and people write to me like, Oh, I got to talk to this credo preparata. And I think I don't mind it, by the way, I would never, ever lie. But some people presume like I've got some secret line to you and nobody else can get access. But anyhow, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I saw your, I saw your works and I'll be honest, I could recognize, uh, um the conjuring Hitler and um the tyranny what uh, the what's the book on tyranny? ideology? yeah we've See been it, talking it. about tyranny so much the ideology of tyranny and then again I had the good fortune to review your book written with others on new directions and Catholic social and political thought uh, you have a website there's all these including the essay Sicilianizing our Weltgeschung. but I obviously recognize genius and what you're doing and so you're you're straining and you're striving to find lenses to understand what's going on, you know, but in so many of our conversations, if people go back and listen to the previous podcast we've done with you, uh, Michael and I, and this one I've done at front porch with you, you know, we're taking something like the COVID narrative, you know, what's going on. And I don't hold this against you, but you, you know, right now, you know, something's up. A lot of people thought it was all good. There was an essay published in the Atlantic monthly this week on uh you know kind of amnesty that obviously some of the things claimed were false. So everybody should just be hunky dory. Um but in talking to you, you have, you know, you found all these new tools. You're trying to get something, and yet we're dealing with somebody, and I admire you for this, who still more often than other people, even more often than me, you you never quite connect the threads before they're there. So with this whole COVID narrative, you still say, I don't know what went on. Am I right with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I have not put it together just yet. I, I was, I've been, and as we all have been trying to put the, all the things together, and, and hopefully I will, I, I, I think, and I'll just say this very briefly, they have been trying to do this before uh, with the avian flu. Yeah. And nobody talks about this anymore, but I've retrieved a number of books where the journalistic... Um, world accused the world health organization of having literally um invented the pandemic for to scare people literally and then this thing was just hushed up very fast and nobody spoke about it anymore so they've been trying to do this so we have some precedents uh, we have all the other precedents of how they put together the narratives taken from movies uh, or from other stories they circulate about ebola which are exactly the same so the script the, the the scare part, the you know the, the the inciting incident and the language, all that that's been in the works for a
0: while. And you you um, you worked with the Catholic Church in the Ebola crisis in Africa briefly, or had some connection?
1: No, 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 I didn't work with them. I just I just attended a conference of Caritas, yeah. their charitable organization, yeah. where the team that went down there with the blessing of Caritas cleaned up the mess mm. in uh, in Western Africa. And and yeah, I mean they were they were. Um, uh, it came in, and you know, they, they somehow confessed that they knew that there were military labs in the area doing shady things. Sure, sure. Uh, but that's that's but the narrative of Ebola was the same. The story of the bat, uh, which they circulated at the beginning of uh, COVID, is exactly the same. So uh, they've, been, they've been telling us uh, they'll be telling us a movie. That, that, it, that they've been playing before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What I yet do not understand is the story of the vaccination. And the thing that surprises me the most is, is the reaction in civil society. The fact that all these millions of doctors that there are that have had access to these vials, apparently virtually no one except for this infamous or famous group of people in Almeria, Spain, said, oh, there's graphene or what not. Except for them, nobody in the whole world has kind of stolen a cup and let me see what's in them. Or you have to steal more because maybe there are batches, different batches. That's what strikes me or that we have not known about that. If it is about that, but now we hear that it's not even about that. But anyway, no, I don't know. Interesting,
0: yeah. I guess right now it's not like I have pieced it together, but early on you shared with me we were corresponding in April of 2020 that it was um, you know a lot of evidence that it was definitely leading to vaccine passports. You know, just and maybe you know for me now I can't put any words in your mouth on this, but I've you know most of it I see towards you know just um, a general movement towards you know uh, use vaccines to get us to have to carry cards that can help us restrict travel, and then um, uh, you know cashless society. Social credit system, things like that. But that's, that's you know, my, I'm, I fly at 10,000 feet, you know, and I don't get into the nitty gritty as well as you do. So I know I'm missing no, things, but, but I guess I, I still have heard... my own kind of narrative. Yep.
1: No, no, I, I don't know. I mean, okay. my good is good, is, my guess is good, and I don't have even a guess at this stage, but what I've heard this, uh, somebody made this connection between uh, COVID and a cashless society. I don't see how the two are connected. Okay. Yeah. i I, maybe i'm missing the the nexus but how i would be i think
0: you would have a social credit score based on you know how dutiful you are to you know obeisance to the government if you if you do these things but a casual society comes in and you can be penalized when you don't you know if you're getting trained in many ways just to march to the tune of the drummer Hmm. um you know that you have this repeated thing something there but i'm admitting i haven't gone into the nitty-gritty you know i just my thing hasn't been piecing together the whole piece, but just always you know, smelling a rat. And then again, looking at uh, alternative, you know great, wonderful scientists who are just, you know, censored. You know that's my sense of injustice was aroused by the whole thing more than me trying to come up with the um I'm kind of like you. i don't I don't pre-throw down a narrative too quickly, but uh, smelling a rat from the get-go for sure. How about one more thing? Yeah. Tell, telling people that, uh, I, I talked about our correspondence at one time, and this, this essay is done, and it will become a book, but you said you finally figured out 9-11. So tease that a little yeah. bit for our listeners and uh, when they might be able to see that book and what it might be called.
1: Soon, it's, it's called Phantasmagoria, uh, I think the spectacle of 9-11 and the war on terror. It's, it's ready. It was commissioned by, it was commissioned by a uh, think tank in Dubai, and in the end, I guess they didn't want it anymore. Yes, didn't, didn't didn't tell what they wanted to see. I have no idea. The communication just died after a while. But uh, I completed it, extended it, and turned it into a little book. Yeah, I, I'm personally very proud of it. The only thing that I'm not proud at all, and as I told you, is that it's, it's taken me twenty years to come up with a thesis. A good, <laughs> a good one. Only products.
0: Uh, uh, I, I think I stay on the beat for twenty
1: years. It's 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 unforgivable. I mean, that's not really that's it's not it's not brilliant at all, isn't it? But I guess I uh, and I could have, you know, I, with hindsight, I could have put it together, but I, I just didn't. I uh, just didn't. And, but now I, with the demobilization, I just and with this with the commission, I had to think about it. And then then it came into and then the thing came into relief. And um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's coming out in, in a month or so. God willing. If
0: Yeah. And uh, people, you know, will Michael and I, when it comes out, we'll have you on again, hopefully around that time. Yeah. But if it comes no, out, we still won't have you back again for a few weeks. You know, I'll be in touch with you, and we can uh, we can let people know where uh, where to buy it, how to buy it, and things as soon as it does. Sure,
1: sure, sure, sure. Yeah.
0: So you're in the process of a move. Good luck with that. You've got home remodels going on. Can't thank yeah. you enough again. We any other uh, sale promotion things you could do at this point.
1: Well, I would like to say that my websites are being revamped, but uh, yeah, they will be. Okay. And there. And and then, yeah, there's my five new books, uh, five new, well, yeah, five new titles. One of them is Conjuring Hitler in Italian and Conjuring Hitler has been revised and expanded. Then there's a book on Empire and Church, 9-11, and a condensed version of Conjuring Hitler called The Incubation of Nazism. They're all under my own brand uh, publishing house. And if, you know, God willing, by the end of the year, they should all be on Amazon. So yeah. hopefully that, that
0: will happen. Well, you're an institution unto yourself. Can't thank you enough for coming on the Regeneration podcast again. Uh, listeners, again, we'll fun. have Michael Marks back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.